Well, here's my question. Have you ever wished you had a stronger sense of God's presence in your life? Uh, I used to work at a college, and I, uh, my job was in the chaplain's office, and so that meant every single day I had students coming into my office, and uh, we would talk about life. It would be grad students, undergrad students, sometimes staff members at the college, and uh, we'd sit down and we'd talk, and we'd, we'd talk, you know, how your studies going, and how's your family doing at home, and tell me about your friendships, or your, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, and those sorts of things, and uh, the conversation would always inevitably turn to spiritual things, and I'd say, you know, how, how are you doing with God? And it happened a thousand times if it happened once. A student would say, you know, I, I just don't know where God is anymore. Like, I, I, I don't know where he's at work in my life. Like, he, maybe he's doing something, but I can't see it. I don't know where he's at. I, I used to work in another church. And there we would uh, sometimes have Q&A sessions where people could ask any question they wanted about the Bible, about life. And we'd try to answer it every single time we did that. Uh, someone would put in a question to the effect of, uh, why can't I feel God? Why can't I see God moving in my life? Where is he? You ever, you ever thought that? I've heard that question from my friends, from my family. I've heard it from other pastors. People saying, I just, I wish I had, could feel God's grace in my life more. I, I wish I could hear his voice more. I wish I could see his power on the move, especially when I'm in need. Where's God? Look around you. Look at the people that are sitting nearby. You think any of them ever have these thoughts, ever ask these questions? I'm sure they do. We all do. What if there was something we could do for one another to help when it feels like God is distant, God is absent? What if there was something we could do to make it so that people around us had a greater experience of God's grace, they could hear his voice, and they could see his power at work in their life? That's the question we're asking today. I want to say hello to all of you who are joining us at all four of our campuses in Bartlett, Blackberry Creek, DeKalb, here in St. Charles. We're so glad you're with us today. We also want to say hello to those of you joining us online. We know that uh, some of you, especially this weekend, are out of town and you want to be here, but you can't, so you're tuning in and we're so glad you can do that and we're looking forward to seeing you next week. Well, we are in a series right now called Love Serves. It's just three weeks long and we are focusing on some aspects of our church's mission. Our church's mission is this. We want to make passionate disciples of Jesus Christ who are marked by four things. Belonging, growing, serving, and reaching. And we're kind of uh, digging down on that third one of serving. Uh, but I think today you're going to find out that serving and belonging are often really closely connected. And, and to see that, we're going to study a passage in 1 Peter chapter 4. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter. It's in the New Testament, kind of towards the back. First uh, Peter is a, it's actually a letter written by one of Jesus' closest followers, his right-hand man, a guy named Peter, and he is writing probably 30 years after Jesus uh, has died and rose again and gone back to heaven, uh, and he is writing to a group of followers of, of Christ that are living in what is modern-day Turkey. It's called Asia Minor back in the day, uh, and it is a tough time to be a believer at this time. Uh, Nero is the emperor of Rome, and he hates Christians, and so it's basically open season on followers of Christ, uh, and where uh, these believers are, they are experiencing all sorts of pushback. They're, they're being ostracized by friends and family. They're, they're being uh, criticized and ridiculed. They're being mistreated in all sorts of different ways, and so it's really tough, and, and Peter is writing to them to say, all right, in these moments where you feel like, I don't know where God is, things are really hard, uh, how do you live uh, under that kind of pressure? What do you do? And then the part we're going to look at today uh, is a section where Peter's actually describing how a community like that should relate to one another. How, how do you relate within that community? 
And it starts here in chapter 4, verse 7. And it begins with this awesomely ominous line, the end of all things is near. Okay, isn't that great? Uh, what does that mean? When you hear someone say something like that, it conjures up an image of like the guy on the corner, you know, crazy hair, wild eyes, and he's got a sign. He's like, the end is nigh, the end is nigh. And people are moving up to a mountain and selling everything they have. And it's like, these are the sorts of people you don't take that seriously. Like you walk on the other side of the road when that happens. And you read it here in scripture and you say, well, hang on a second. What, what's he mean by this? Because this was written 2,000 years ago and it sure looks like the end didn't come, you know? And you say, did, did Peter get it wrong? You, actually, this kind of language comes up all the time in the New Testament. Every different author has a different way of saying it, but they all say it. You know, John says, this is the last hour in 1 John. Peter, in another place, says, Jesus was revealed in these last days. Uh, James, the author of Hebrews, others refer to the, the present as the last days. And so you read that and you think, well, either the New Testament authors were way off, they got it wrong, or they're saying something different than what it seems like they're saying. Here's what I think they're saying. They're saying that since Jesus died and rose again, history has entered its final stage. It's the final stage. The way the Bible describes history is by talking about two different ages. The present age, which is where sin and death and evil hold sway, and the age to come. Where, where evil is undone, where, where Jesus rules, where love and justice reign. And the surprising thing that we find out is that there's not a, a clean-cut break between these two eras. When Jesus showed up, he announced the kingdom. He, he broke the power of sin when he died on the cross. He defeated death when he rose again. And all of this begins that age to come. And yet, the present age, it, it continues. The, the forces of evil and death still have their sway. And so there's this kind of overlap between the two ages. It's kind of weird. Uh, Bible scholars and theologians, they call this tension the already and the not yet. So if you ask the question, uh, is God's kingdom already here or has it not yet arrived? The answer is yes, yes. Uh, but here's the thing. We don't actually know how long this overlapping age is gonna last. We haven't really been given a timetable. We just know that since Jesus left, we've entered the last phase of history. And that it is technically true that for the last 2,000 years, we have been living in the end times, which may be different than the way you've used that phrase in the past. Uh, maybe you've experienced something like this in a meeting, okay? Uh, if you've ever been in a meeting and you've been given an agenda, list of items that you've got to get through, got to discuss before the meeting can be over. Uh, you don't know how long the meeting's going to last. You just know we've got to cover all of this stuff. Uh, so in the meeting, you're, you're working through it, and you, you, you work through all these different agenda items, and you finally get to the last one. And again, you don't know how long the conversation about that is going to take. So you start talking about it, and uh, let's say maybe five minutes into the conversation, someone walks by the meeting room, and they stick their head in the door, and they say, hey, how you guys doing? Where are you at? You'd probably say, oh, we're on the last thing. We're at the end here. But let's say another 20 minutes goes by, and your, your stomach's starting to rumble, and you're like, I wish it was lunch. You know, when's this going to be over? And, and another person walks by and says, hey, how you guys doing? Where are you at? It would still be appropriate to say, we're on the last thing. We're getting towards the end. It, it is still true. So when the New Testament writers, when Peter says the end of all things is near, he's saying, this is it. There, there's nothing standing between us and the end. There's only one event we're waiting for, and that's the last one, when Jesus returns and brings the kingdom in full. And when that happens, everything is going to be set right. This is the one, one of the ways it's described in Revelation chapter 21. It says, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. 
God himself will be with them. When that happens, God will be present and nothing will be there to get in the way. We will feel his grace to the full. We will hear his voice loud and clear. We will see his power up close and personal. Our experience of God will be constant and complete. And so when Peter says the end of all things is near, he's not trying to say something ominous, at least not for followers of Jesus. He's saying something very hopeful, especially when you think uh, these are people who are under a lot of pressure. When he says the end is near, it's basically a way of saying it's not going to last forever, guys. The, The trouble will end. The suffering will come to a close. There is hope coming. But of course, for those who are not followers of Jesus, this is an ominous statement. When God fills all in all, he's going to drive out anything that's at odds with him. The old age of of evil, sin, and death, and anybody who goes along with it will be judged and cast out. So Peter's words here are very hopeful, but they are very serious. The the reason he's reminding us of the end is because he wants to say this. He wants to say, we know where things are going, right? We, We know what the future is going to look like, where this is all headed. So why don't we live now in light of that? We should get in line with the future, even though it's kind of at odds and against the grain with the present. We should live in light of what's coming, not what's passing away. You see, the the church is supposed to be a community of people who live as if the kingdom has arrived in a world where the kingdom is not yet present. We're supposed to live in a way that brings the future into the present. So as to bring the future into the present. The other day, I took my five-year-old daughter out on a daddy date. Uh, we were celebrating because it was the first day of kindergarten, and so uh, we went out to our favorite ice cream place. We went to Kimmer's. Now, Kimmer's is uh, a tough place to choose an ice cream flavor because there are so many interesting and uh, unusual options. So we usually spend a lot of time getting taste tests, okay? So we just, you know, we fill, it's almost like we don't need ice cream at the end because we're like, can we try that one and that one? Oh, and that, oh, definitely that one, you know? And so we got all these different kinds. We got donut ice cream and cinnamon roll ice cream, and we got French toast ice cream and a bunch of other ice creams inspired by breakfast pastries, you know? And uh, we got, uh, my favorite one is uh, Parent Trap. It is Oreo and peanut butter, oh my gosh, it's to die for. I always end up on that one. Uh, But this is what the church is like. Uh, It is supposed to be a sample of the future. It's a taste test of the kingdom. Now, the the church is not the fullness of the kingdom. The the kingdom is that freezer full of ice cream. The the, the kingdom is a a full scoop of freckled lemonade ice cream on a sparkle cone, which is what my daughter wanted. But the church is the sample. It's, It's a small but still real experience of what the kingdom's gonna be like. So in this community, we are trying to bring the future into the present as best we can. But how do we do that? Uh, Peter goes on, verses seven to 11, to give us four ways we do that. Uh, You can think of these as sort of four flavors, four samples of the coming kingdom. Verse seven, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Here's the first way we sample the kingdom. We pray. The central Christian prayer is this. We sang it earlier in this service. May your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's the prayer Jesus taught us. And every single prayer we pray is basically that prayer applied to a specific situation. We we take some aspect of our life or our world and we say, God, this doesn't look like your coming kingdom. Can you make it look more like that here? So this is the reason why uh, you pray for your brother when he loses his job. And you pray for that bill that it doesn't seem like you're going to be able to pay this month because you know in the kingdom, all of our needs are going to be met. We are going to want for nothing. And so we pray, God, make this more like your kingdom. 
We, we are in need. Provide for us here. It's the reason we pray for healing when people are sick. Because we know that in the kingdom, death and disease are going to be undone forever. And so we say, here, right now, God, make this situation with my friend, with my family, more like your kingdom. It's the reason we pray for our leaders and our laws and our countries. Because we know that when Jesus comes back, justice and peace are going to rule the day. And so we say, God, make it a little bit more like that here and now. This is why we pray, to say, God, we want another taste, another glimpse, another uh, uh, vision of your kingdom right here in the present, a little flavor of what's to come, God. This is why prayer is so important to us as a church. It's the reason why a couple of times a year we set aside a week to pray every single day about the things that are going on here. Uh, we're kicking off our next week of prayer next week uh, with Ignite, the, this worship and prayer event on Sunday evening. Uh, I'm going to be there with my family for the pizza party. Uh, I hope all of you are there uh, because this is so key. Uh, we, we plan and we work and we do all sorts of stuff. But if God doesn't show up in our church to, to work, it's all a waste of time. All, the, all the, the serving fair and all the volunteering and all the planning, it doesn't amount to anything unless God shows up. And so that's why we kick off the ministry year by saying we're going to pray all together that God moves in our church this year. That's how we get a flavor of the kingdom. The second and third way we get a little taste of the kingdom kind of go together. So we'll read verses 8 and 9. Above all, Peter says, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Here are two other ways we experience the, the future in the present. We love one another and we welcome one another. When you read that word here, hospitality, uh, it means something more than just having people over for dinner in your home, although that's a great way to show hospitality. It's the deeper reality of hospitality is being open to the people around you. It's, it's taking your life and saying, I'm gonna let you affect me. I'm gonna let you mean something to me. Uh, on the, the very simple end, the sort of day-to-day -day incidental way of doing this is just being open to the people that you interact with moment by moment. You know, you see someone in the coffee shop or you bump into someone on the train and you say, you know what, instead of treating this person like just another object in my world, I'm going to say, what does God have for me in this moment? How can I be, be open to an encounter with this person? Uh, who knows what God might do here? Uh, on the more sacrificial, more profound uh, ways of showing hospitality uh, are people who uh, open their homes up to people, like doing foster care or safe families. They say, I'm going to open up my, my home. I'm going to open up my life. I'm going to open up my family and share that with someone else who could use it. That, that's what hospitality looks like. And, and we know that this is a, a taste of the kingdom to come because in the kingdom, every outcast is going to be welcomed in. Everybody who was on the margins is now going to be brought to the center. The, the, the people who were uh, cut off are going to be embraced in love. And so when we welcome one another, it's a little sample, a little flavor, a little picture of what's to come. That, that again, is why uh, in our church we want to be as welcoming of a community as we can. That's why we're launching our zone strategy next weekend, where we're going to divide up our auditoriums into different sections where uh, we're going to have a team of volunteers in each of those sections to try to make the environment in here as friendly, as warm, as welcoming as possible. And the goal here is not just so that those zone leaders are going to be uh, nice and friendly when people come in, but it's so that all of us can be more open to the people who come in, who are around us, uh, so that we can make some connections. I was talking with uh, a woman uh, just recently who said, you know, it took me a year of attending Christ community before I felt like this was my church, that I belonged here. Now, she wasn't criticizing the church. She actually said, you know, this is a very warm and friendly church. But what she was saying was she knew how difficult it is for someone coming into a community 
to connect and to, to feel like I've got a home, that people know me and, and they miss me when I'm gone and I feel like I have a place here. And she was excited about the zone strategy because she said, you know what, I, I wanna shorten that time for other people. I wanna make it as easy as possible for people to feel like this is where I belong. And that's really what we're hoping for with all of this. So when we love, when we welcome one another, we experience a taste of the kingdom. Final way we bring the future into the present is this, verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. The, the way we get a taste of the kingdom is when we serve one another. All of us have been given gifts, abilities, uh, aptitudes for different things uh, from God. They're gifts from the Holy Spirit. Uh, and the way it works is this. When someone comes to faith in Jesus, God's spirit comes to live on the inside of that person. And, and so it's actually, you remember that verse that I read before from Revelation 21, where it says, in the kingdom, God's dwelling place will be with his people. Well, this is a little taste of that. The Holy Spirit comes to live in you, which means God is dwelling with you right now if you are a follower of Jesus. And his presence there uh, gives you uh, abilities and, uh, and capacities to do things uh, that you might not otherwise have. So some of you, you have a tremendous compassion for people in need. You love to come alongside them and help them when they're in desperate moments. Uh, some of you, you have incredible leadership skills. Uh, others are excellent communicators. Uh, some of you, you, you love to pray for people and you are used to seeing God answer your prayers. Uh, some of you are generous with what you have. Some of you have insights into spiritual realities that other people miss. The Bible doesn't have any complete list of the gifts that the Spirit gives. And I'm of the opinion that God creates a unique set of abilities for each person. It's sort of a, a handcrafted gift for each one of us. But everybody, if you have been given, uh, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have been given a gift to use. And Peter says the reason you've got that gift is to serve others. In one sense, God has not given you a spiritual gift. God has given the church community a spiritual gift through you. Whatever abilities you have, they are for the sake of other people. And look here at the language that Peter uses to describe people when they use their gifts. He says they're, they're stewards of God's grace. The one who speaks is one who speaks the very words of God. One who serves is one who does it with the strength God provides. See this. If you are wondering, that question we opened up with, how can I feel God's grace in my life? How can I hear his words in my life? How can I see his power in my life? Here's your answer. We, we experience those things through other people, through the people around us. When do you experience God's grace in your life? It's when you share the story of your past, the things that you're ashamed of, that you think no one is gonna love you if they knew you had done that. You share that with another person and that person still loves you. They stick with you. Uh, they, they, they still draw close to you. If through that person, you experience God's grace. When do you hear God's voice? When do you hear God's words? When you're in a conversation with another person and they say, you know what? There's a scripture that comes to mind about that. I think this applies to your situation. Let me show it to you. I think this is for you. You, you hear God's voice through that other person. When do you see God's power in your time of need? It's when you have surgery. And your community group, they, they bring you meals 
And they, they come to your house and they, they do projects around your home that you couldn't get to. And they, they take a collection so that they can pay for some of your medical bills. That is God's power showing up through other people in your life. There are all sorts of ways that you can feel God's grace and hear his words and see his power, but almost all of them involve another person being the vehicle for those things. And that's the reason we need to serve because other people need to experience God's presence and God has already given you a gift to help them do that. Our job is to be God's presence for each other. Be God's presence for each other. Uh, think of it like this, back to the ice cream analogy. Uh, if, if we are supposed to be uh, giving a sample, a taste of the kingdom, you are the little plastic spoon. You, you got that little morsel of goodness uh, that, that people can taste that they say, ah, that's what it's like. And you're the one who carries it. You think about this, guys. The spirit is in us. That, that means we carry around a little bit of the, the future inside. And, and we offer that to others when we serve them. The, the grace of God, the words of God, the power of God is at work through you. It is incredible. And the main way this happens is through the, just the thousands of little interactions you have throughout your week. When you're talking to someone, when you're, you're with someone, and you're just saying to God, okay, God, where do you want me to show your grace? Where do you want me to speak your word? Where, where do you want me to uh, serve in your power for this person? Where can I bring a little flavor of the kingdom into this moment? Just incidental sort of moments. It also happens, though, in more official ways, where you say, all right, I, I see the needs of our church, and I want to volunteer to help out with those things. That's the reason why we're having the serving fair these three weeks, because we want to give you a chance uh, to jump in on what God's doing here, to, to find a place where you can use your gifts, where you can uh, pour out into other people, and you can see God's power show up. Uh, and so we're doing this uh, for those of you especially who uh, haven't plugged in in that way, uh, so that you can find a place where, where that can be your experience. And we're hoping uh, that every single person who calls Christ Community home will find a way to serve. So go ahead and check that out uh, as you go out of here today.